Hi, and thanks for tuning into the Bacon Water Podcast. On today's episode, Davis Coughlin joins Lucas and I to talk about the two-part Tiger Woods documentary that dropped on HBO over the weekend. Then, Lucas and I talked about WandaVision. Side note, I thanked Andrew Cumbo for coming onto the show to give us a shout at MSU Basketball Positivity. Uh, he couldn't make it. We recorded that segment before he found out. But Andrew will be on later. Um, don't worry about that. Anyway, here's Spartan Dog 97. Thanks, Spartan Dog 97. When I'm not banging Perkins waitresses, I'm Spartan Dog 97. Uh, Brett's going to be joining us a little later, but we got Lucas here. Lucas, what's going on? Oh, just um, overcoming the immense pain I suffered Saturday night. But um, I'm here. I I powered through it, and um, we're just going to move on, you know, on the next season. Congratulations, by the way, to the Los Angeles Rams for winning the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes in advance. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, uh, Jared Goff is a white, blonde man of God, so I'm sure – that, that weird preacher guy they have running the team in Texas is <laughs> Joel gonna, Osteen's gonna love him. Yeah, Joel Osteen, it, who or whoever the fuck is running the Texans right now, is gonna love. You just him. jinxed it, so thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And uh, the my intro was obviously an allusion to Tiger Woods. Uh, MSU hasn't played a basketball game in ten days. And breaking news, fellas, uh, there are three more positives within MSU's basketball program. So I think it, I think we might be waiting a little longer before we get uh, before we get back before we uh, see MSU on the court again. So with that being said, we're starved for content. Um, we don't. Ha- uh, I didn't want to answer a bunch of questions from uh, from Lewis uh, because I talked to him enough in our interactions on Twitter and in the Gambling Pod. So. We're going to talk about the Tiger Woods doc that dropped on HBO um, over the past couple Sundays. And joining us to talk about it is Bacon Warriors resident golf guy, uh, Davis Coughlin. Davis, what's going on, man? Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I, uh, I just got done watching it. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. I've been so, for it for a while. So, uh, uh, Lucas, you're, as Bacon Warriors resident's dad, um, you know, you were kind of, you were kind of there for – for Tiger's kind of emergence on I mean, onto the scene. I mean, I was alive to remember when he first yeah. came on the scene. Correct, correct. <laughs> um, like, do you, what was what's your earliest memory of like Tiger Woods in like your in your life, like in your in your area? Um, I did not like golf until I started watching this young uh, black kid dominate all these old white boomers on the golf course and the crowds just going nuts for him. Like it kind of was making me like, Oh man, I want to do that too. And obviously I'm not Tiger (laughs) way far from it, but he made me want to play golf and you know, golf on the outside is a pretty boring looking sport, but it can be very competitive. It can be very mental. It is the most mental sport in my opinion. And he made me want to do that. And that's a hell of an effort. I, I remember him winning that first masters in 97, um, you know, and it was just such a monumental moment to see the crowds there. It was, it was like happy Gilmore kind of foreshadowed what Tiger Woods would bring to, <laughs> to the PGA tour a little bit. 
obviously not like, you know, um, inflatable balls, you know, being thrown under the, uh, the green or, you know, a, a car running into the TV stand and causing a crazy putt to win. But I mean, that's my first big memory of him. Like my dad and I, my dad, and my grandpa and I would watch him, you know, when I go over there, go over to my grandpa's house, like on Saturday, we'd watch the whole tournament. Um, you know, it's, it's a, I'll save my thoughts for later in the documentary, but yeah, that's, that's my first memory, and it's just a very impactful one. I always, I've always had a soft spot for him, no matter what he's done. And that sounds really bad on the surface, but I'll talk about it later. Uh, Davis, you know, as someone who kind of, uh, we're about the same age, so you kind of, mm-hmm. we both kind of grew up at, um, kind of at the at the peak. Um, we were yeah. kind of coming in, coming into adolescence at like the peak of of Tiger's powers. Um, you know, what, like, what did, what is, you know, you play golf competitively. Like what did mm-hmm. Tiger, what did Tiger mean to you as you I were mean, coming into golf? It's weird growing. I mean, I was, obviously I wasn't there when he first emerged, but it, like when growing up, he's just, he's Tiger. He's, he's a step above everybody else. He, he still is. If you watch today, I mean, you see the TV ratings go through the roof. The, the crowds are bigger. He's, he's the standard for everything in golf. We'll, we'll never, we never saw something like him before. We'll never see anything like him again. I don't think in any sport, let alone just golf. I mean, he is golf. Yeah. You can have all these other stars, Rory, Spieth, whoever on the side, but anything they do, nothing compares to Tiger. And, uh, you know, growing up to me, I, I watched, you know, when I started to get into competitive golf, I'd watch his videos all the time, watch his prowess, his mental, fortitude I, I i can't do it i don't know how he how he does it but he again he's just a step above everybody else i i think the the mental prowess thing i think is a is an interesting kind of angle in an angle in the documentary itself you know um this it this would make um if you had if you had the sheer time on your hands, hands to be able to do it, I think this and the last dance would make an interesting double feature um, because they're so different. Like this documentary does not have the blessing of Tiger Woods or anybody in his camp. Um, I believe Tiger's agent last Sunday um, released kind of like a scathing statement about the, about the documentary. Yeah. Um, and you know that's it's obviously different from something from the last dance where uh you know Michael Jordan is involved and you get to see like Michael Jordan talk about these things that happened to him in his life and you know you don't you don't get that with Tiger um and documentary you know making a documentary about about a subject about someone who's still alive like you it's kind of like a it's like a damned if you do, damned if you don't, because you lose, you lose that, you lose that access to the person, right? Like we don't get to, we never, we don't get to see Tiger in 2019 when this was filmed, sit down and talk about Earl and talk about the Tiger slam and talk about um, the controversies that, that kind of followed him. Right. Um, but on the flip side, if we if we did have if Tiger was involved, we might not get the controversy stuff. 
Um, we might not get some of those. We might not get some of the some of the stuff. We might not get some of the things we got because because it, because Tiger wasn't involved. Exactly. That's what I was. I was literally texting my dad just about the same thing. I was saying, yeah, they don't interview anybody that you know Tiger is currently positively in their life or you know something of that nature. So you're gonna get all the negative stuff. But then again, if you do have Tiger, if you do have you know, his caddy or his mom or whoever, then it's, they're not going to let you do all the, you know, the stuff about his fall and all that. So it's, it's very tough to encapsulate the entire whole story in a proper way. And I thought the documentary did a, a very good job of at least, so they're, you know, they had the mostly negative and the mostly off course stuff. Who knows, maybe in five, 10 years, Tiger will do his own, last dance style documentary and then we'll get all the positive and the encore stuff and then you can watch both and sort of put together your image of what you think tiger is but it was it was very interesting to watch and hear stuff from people that you know we didn't i mean we heard from his mistresses and we heard from uh steve williams his old caddy so even if even if something negative has happened there to where they want to speak negatively about Tiger or something like that. It, it, it's still interesting to hear from them and hear at least their side of the story. And one thing I, one thing that was interesting to me while watching the documentary on both part one and especially in part two, um, is that, and Sean Fennessy on the big picture podcast pointed this out. Everyone was so like, everyone was like really protective of Tiger. You know, nobody was overly critical of him. Um, it w- I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, no one was like, no one was really laying into him uh, the way maybe some of them should. Um, even, even his, um, even Dina Parr, his, his first girlfriend, um, you know, Tiger kind of did her dirty and it would have been really easy for her to rail him. But she was just like, she spoke so warmly of, of him. I think that's kind of, that kind of speaks to, to Tiger's like presence. You know what I, like you guys get what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, if I were her, I, I would not say a single positive word about the guy. I mean, you date for three years and you get a letter saying this is over. Please don't talk to me again. I mean, it's, it's weird. I don't know if they, or giving him the benefit of the doubt from his upbringing, you know, not really having many friends or many things outside of his parents and outside of golf. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they feel sympathetic for him in some kind of way. But yeah, it was very interesting to see everybody sort of protect him and still talk about him in a positive light, despite some shortcomings, which, you know, obviously would be tough for anybody, but someone in that spotlight, you know, I think, um, and and this will be our entryway to talk about about the documentary more specifically. Um, you know, I think I think of the two of the two sections of the documentary. I think part one, to me at least, was like the most was the most interesting, the most intriguing. Um, and maybe that's because a lot, basically, the entire the entire thing uh, kind of happened before I had a real consciousness about Tiger Woods and before I had a real 
um, before I really knew like how big Tiger was. So, you know, you always hear about the Tiger Slam, but like what, like seeing like the YouTube highlights of it are a completely different thing. And I think the angle they took into Tiger's life as kind of like this father-son story was was really smart, you know. Um, My first impression walking away from part one was, was, wow, they were like, they were like really hard on Earl. Um, You know, Earl Woods, his father. Um, That was my, that was my kind of, that was my kind of first, like, man, they like, they kind of went in on Earl at some points. Um, But, you know, there, there's no doubt that, that the thing Earl created was undoubtedly great at great at golf, you know, whether or not, um, whether or not he created a, a functioning mentally healthy human being, I think kind of, I think he kind of failed at that, but you know, Earl Woods created a hell of a golfer and, and there's always this, um, there's this prevailing thought around, around billionaires that um, like they all have some degree to some degree, they all have to be sociopaths because in order to hoard that much wealth and to have, and to take up that much resources and do the things you need to do in order to, to reach that billion dollar milestone. Like you need to have a couple wires in your brain cut in order for you to be able to reach that pinnacle and I think, and I think Earl Woods understood that when raising Tiger, to a to a degree. Yeah, I uh, I think their portrayal of Earl or their sort of tone towards Earl was appropriate. It, I, I think, yeah, they say they're best friends, and yeah, they spent so much time around each other growing up. But it's almost like Earl treated Tiger as a as a robot or seems like he didn't he had all the golf stuff down and all that but he didn't have the human or emotional side of anything outside of golf is how he sort of raised him i I mean they don't say anything about you know him raising him in any sort of way other than being a tough golfer both mentally and obviously in terms of the game which i I, you know i'm not going to condemn Earl for that, but it's an interesting way to raise your only child, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, that there was a lot of, um, you know, the the family friends who are no longer um, intimately involved with the Woods family, they kind of, um, they all kind of brought this up, the fact that, you know, Earl had always said, and there are clips in the documentary of Earl saying, you know, if Tiger wanted to be a bowler, like we'd we'd go with him in bowling. Um, and basically, I think a couple of them had said that's bullshit. <laughs> um, uh, Tiger was always going to golf. Um, you know, and and growing in you know growing up in kind of of competitive kind of a, a competitive travel sports environment. Um, I recognize a lot of parents who are kind of like Earl Woods. Um, you know, not so much the, not so much the, 
the extracurricular activities Earl's Earl was into, but the like the just pushing your kid to be the best and making and forcing your kid to be singularly focused on on this on a sport um is definitely a trait I have seen in 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 my friends' parents in um friends of my siblings of teammates of both me and my siblings um earl woods is is a very familiar character to me so i th- i thought that was interesting yeah i i can see similar yeah i mean in the ultimate solo sport you know in the, like a travel environment like that i mean he was traveling with tiger all over the place to play and I definitely see what you're getting at in terms of like the ultimate travel sports parent or like a, you know, you hear about like dance moms or something like that. I mean, I mean, and that's what Earl wanted. And I, I definitely agree with you about the, the, where they said, Oh, if Tiger wanted to play an instrument or whatever, we'd support him. No, that's yeah. T- uh, Earl was completely golf all the way. That was his plan from the moment Tiger was born. Yeah. It, it, if Earl had, if they had been serious, then I don't about 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 like letting Tiger do whatever he wanted to do, um, and helping him pursue whatever he wanted to pursue. I don't think I don't think Tiger would have had a high chair in the garage while Earl was hitting balls. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, or had to go to his teacher to tell or ask her to ask Earl if he could play other sports. Like right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I I think that I thought that was interesting. Um, and I, I did notice how, you know, after Tiger turned pro and was making all this money, how they, I don't know if he showed some resentment, but, you, you know, they covered him not seeing Earl as much or him sort of being somewhat distant from Earl. And maybe that was Tiger's way of saying, oh, okay, I'm finally out of this guy's grasp. Now it's time to do my own thing or be my own person, well, which, which was interesting. You know, I, I, I think the documentary made a couple interesting choices. Um, one, I can't imagine how many hours of archival footage they had to they had to dig through in order to get some of the clips they had to get. Um, I, I, the, the amount of man hours, the amount of shitty local news interviews those guys have the directors of the movie have ha- had to watch to get to get the footage they did of Tiger had to have been fucking unreal tremendous so you know it i applaud them getting anything made isn't easy making this you know making this fucking podcast isn't easy and i barely edit it um (laughs) you know so um but i think they made a couple interesting choices and one was how they handled earl's um i you know i he's not alive to defend himself so i'll say alleged infidelity um yeah and this can be our bridge into part two. Uh, Wright Thompson said something interesting where, you know, after 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 he died, Tiger had this Earl-sized hole in his life, right? And and he said, and he, what Wright Thompson said something to the effect of, Tiger had to follow Earl all the way down the rabbit hole. Um, and that includes, and that includes his, that included his infidelity. I thought that was a, I thought that was a, 
that was an interesting kind of that was an interesting narrative decision on behalf of on behalf of the documentary to kind of to kind of to kind of explain some of Tiger's you know some of Tiger's um moral failings I guess we'll call it yeah I it was cer- certainly an interesting path they took and yeah while you know Tiger's camp can come out and say oh this is negative this is a hit piece whatever at least they are trying to find a reason for Tiger to have acted the way he did and somewhat try to not defend it but explain it other than just I mean, they focused a big part of the documentary of part two, at least on that, the scandal and all that. And, you know, I personally would have covered more golf, but I mean, I am, that's the golfer in me speaking, (laughs) but uh, I mean, I can see where people are coming from saying it's unfair to have covered that much of the scandal, but I do see the similarities between him and Earl there. So it makes sense why they at least brought that up. Yeah, I thought it I I it felt to me that it was almost that the documentary was almost setting it up as like um as like an excuse for like why Tiger did what he did. And like I still think I still think the best way anyone has ever explained celebrity infidelity is South Park. <laughs> the 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 sexual healing episode uh, <laughs> where they give money to a chimpanzee and he just starts humping everything in sight <laughs> that the wife chimpanzee beats him up and he gives an apology on a late night show I mean that's kind of uh but you know I'm a big a big era a big area of kind of of this documentary and of and of Tiger's life, honestly, it is his race. Um, you know, Tiger is is whatever whatever percentage Tiger wants to designate himself as. Tiger's part black, um, and I think the way they handle, I think they this is the I feel like this is the dimension of the documentary where Tiger's um, non involvement hurts the most, honestly. Um, this is where I felt Tiger's absence the greatest because we don't get a we don't get a modern perspective from Tiger on his race and the role his race plays in his in kind of his public perception and in his in in his and in the narrative of his life. Yeah, I I think that is the biggest part of the documentary that is unfair to tiger because they they only really gloss over the the race part of it and that's you know uh, you know he's on oprah and it had to be 97 or 98 and he describes what he describes himself as as far as i know he hasn't said anything about his race or anything like that or about how he feels about it in since then so that's where it would have been nice to have had him have him and say you know what he thinks of himself in terms of race and what he thinks about himself in relation to golf in terms of race. That's where I feel like the, the documentary did a disservice there. And it, it almost felt to me that uh, Brian Gumble had to do a lot of that heavy lifting for, 
you know, kind of on behalf of the documentary and, and almost on behalf of Tiger, uh, they, the 20, you know, the 2010 masters, um, the, the opening press conference with Billy Hoyle and he talks about, uh, he talks about, you know, how Tiger disappointed him and his children and his grandchildren or whatever, and, and Brian Gumble, like you can just the the rage in in the anger and the emotion in his in his voice is palpable when he says, "Yeah, that was basically a public whipping." Um, yeah, you know th- stuff like that. Um, it kind of speaks to the ever present kind of kind of racial undercurrent that's still present, honestly, in the game of golf. You know. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean. I I did not know they made that statement until watching the documentary and I think it was completely out of place by them. They're they're a golf club who hosts a golf tournament, you know, just say, Oh, we're we're glad to welcome Tiger back, you know, wish him well through his rehab, whatever. There was no need for that and Bryant Gumble was right to call out the fact that there are very racial undertones for a club that didn't allow black members until the nineties. And for a club, at that point, they had still not had a woman member. So there's very prejudiced tones coming from Augusta in that. Well, I believe they brought up the point Augusta National was built on a plantation. I mean, that, you know, um, the the sport is is always going to have this this racialized kind of narrative to it. I, you know, I think the the Hello World ad that Nike ran when he first came out, I thought was, I thought was pretty, was a pretty interesting, a pretty interesting narrative device to use because, you know, there's not a basketball, there's not a basketball court in America that's going to say no to Michael Jordan, right? (laughs) Yeah. There are golf courses in America that, you know, maybe still to this day will say no to Tiger Woods. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, when... Augusta National was founded by two men, Bobby Jones and another guy named Clifford Roberts, who managed the club until he actually killed himself on the course in the 1970s. But he said, as long as I'm alive, there will be no black golfers, but every caddy has to be black. And, I mean, the the club is very clearly built on those undertones. And if if they're like that, I think of how many golf courses across the, the country are still like that. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Davis. You know, I you know, um, like I said, I think the race aspect of Tiger is the area the documentary is the weakest, and the area that suffers the most from not having Tiger involved, because, like, I think it would have been. I think when eventually Tiger's camp does do their own Last Dance style documentary, it'll be interesting to see how Tiger approaches race. You know, obviously the last 18 months in America have kind of been, um, have been kind, have been crazy. Yeah, but it's been, um, a big focus has been placed on, on kind of racial justice and, and, you know, what these, and what these class of, and what these, um, I don't want to say class, like the, these and like what it means to be black in America. And, 
and Tiger has kind of Tiger has kind of escaped that conversation a little bit. Um, he hasn't been he hasn't been total. I'm sure he's released statements, but you know I don't think Tiger's really had a has really had an honest discussion um, about like about like him being black in America. You know since the since the summer. Yeah, I don't believe he was asked about it in an interview or spoke on it, but he did put out a statement. This was after George Floyd and all that, where he act, he kind of played both sides of it in terms of he's, I think he said almost word for word, he was like, yeah, I've always had the most utmost respect for police enforcement. And, but obviously they use too much force so we can, we can learn from this and blah, blah, blah. And something, something both sides here. So it, it would be interesting to hear him speak on the current issues that the country is facing and going through still. And I, I wish they would have had the opportunity to have more current words from him on race, especially. Yeah. Um, so here, here, Davis, here's the statement Tiger, Tiger released. Um, this is from June 1st. Um, my heart goes out to George Floyd, his loved ones, and all of us who are hurting right now. I have always had the utmost respect for our law enforcement. They train so diligently to understand how, when, and where to use force. This shocking tragedy clearly crossed that line. I remember the LA riots and the LA riots and learned that education is the best path forward. We can make our points without burning the very neighborhoods we lived in. I hope that conservative I hope that can I hope through constructive, honest conversations we can build a safer united society. Uh, okay. Yeah, that was about what I remember. And uh, it was very, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say about that, but I, I wish we had more from him. I mean, they, they could have added something in if he were to say something this summer regarding that. But And, yeah. and, and obviously, you know, there are, Tiger has in the past has golfed with um, – um, President Trump. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of, um, that's the, the, that's the thing I did. That's the thing I kind of, that kind of, that the, the documentary kind of is, is the weakest on and kind of misses the mark the most is, is Tiger's race. And yeah, the he, role. He did also accept uh, the, medal of freedom from him i don't think it was would have been 2019 i believe yeah so that's um you know that's kind of an inter you know it, tiger's you know relationship to to kind of race and politics in america i think i think is interesting and i think that i think honestly that was one of the better parts of the last dance was the was the Repub was the whole segment of the of it dedicated to Republicans buy shoes too. Um, I thought that was an interesting, you know, I thought hearing Jordan's perspective with the benefit of time um, kind of gave, kind of gave it a little more, kind of gave it a little more punch. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I agree with that. I remember that from the last dance and I was like, okay, that's, it was interesting to hear that from, from Jordan. And again, the more we're talking about, tiger in his race here he he's never you know he's never said i want to be the best black golfer he's never 
he never, I don't think he really ever thinks of himself as a black golfer. He just thinks of himself as a golfer. And it brings me back to again saying, man, I really wish we could hear from him on this stuff. And I'm looking forward to someday, hopefully hearing from him about his race. It's getting me to think more about, about it right now, but. Yeah. You know, um, I think the, you know, reading this statement, you know, just, I know my politics are a little more, um, or probably a little more extreme than, than Tiger's, but, um, I, I felt it was honestly a pretty weak statement. Um, but you know, it, it's kind of a, a disappointed, not surprised situation with me, but, um, just kind of wrapping up the documentary overall, you know, I thought it was a pretty good balance. Um, I thought, you know, I thought not having Tiger um, was going to be a lot, was going to cause a lot more harm to the documentary than it did overall. Um, and maybe that's just because Tiger is one of the most well-covered athletes probably of, of all time. So there's, so there's so much archival footage of him talking about everything that they're that it's just, it's just able to be, it's just able to be, you know, there. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no shortage of footage on him from the last 25 years. I, I mean, without having him, he's probably one of them at probably trying to think of a way to put it into words out of all the athletes in the world. He's probably has the most footage of him where you're able to make a documentary well without actually hearing from him. And so, yeah, I went into it saying, oh, you know, they didn't interview him. His agent is saying it's negative. You have journalists saying it makes his life to be out of tragedy. But I, I, I think, still think they did a, a pretty decent job of it and probably the best they could do without hearing from him. And I thought it covered all facets of everything pretty well from his childhood to obviously his peak to the scandal to the injuries and the addiction and then the, uh, the comeback. Yeah, I I thought um I in an interview the director said um they were basically they were 3 days away from filming um while the 2019 Masters was going on they were getting ready to start conducting interviews so they were like oh my god this is fucking perfect <laughs> they were like we have an edit you know uh because when they were starting it you know Tiger had had overcome you know kind of overcome his addiction and was on the and you know was on a was on a solid path to recovery and it's kind of funny you can kind of see where they would have ended the documentary had tiger not won the 2019 masters yeah. like there's a seat of him driving uh there's footage of him driving his car like into a golf course and you're like all right this is where the documentary would have ended and then there's like a five minute coda about the 2019 masters i thought that was pretty interesting but yeah, um, they got pretty lucky with that. I mean, Tiger had been back for about a full year before that Masters, but that Masters is just the perfect storm of, I mean, you see all those shots going in the water on the back nine of other guys. And it, it seemed like if Tiger was ever going to win another major, that was going to be the week. And we're, I, I'm personally very glad that he did because at this point, I'm not sure he wins another one. Uh, and you know what, <laughs> they, they got pretty lucky with the, that coming along right at the ending of the documentary there. Yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, I remember that, I remember that Sunday so well, I had my fraternities formal in Windsor and I had, I had woke up, um, just, just 
desperately, desperately hungover, just absolutely railed hungover. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but it had, it had rained the day before, right? Or it, or it was going to rain. They were anticipating rain, so they moved everything up to the early morning. Right. So everybody, so they were, they did a shotgun start. Um, they had people, yeah. they had groups going off at 10 and Tiger, who I believe he started the day two strokes off the lead. Yeah. Um, so he was teeing off at like seven forty-five in the morning. <laughs> it was, yeah. I remember I woke up and I was, I mean, I'm a, I'm a night person myself and I actually had my appendix out a few days before. So I had been sleeping that whole week. And uh, I, I woke up, I was like, all right, we're about to see, you know, Tiger, blah, blah, blah. and I ended up sl- going back to sleep until like eight hole. But I, I do remember that day very well. And uh, I actually, I don't know if you guys can see, I know the people that are listening can't see, but I, I got that done a few months ago. Uh, Davis has a tattoo of Tiger doing the, doing the fist, like the club raised fist pump. That's awesome. <laughs> um, on his tricep. Thank you. I, I, I just remember, I remember the moment he took the lead. We were, we were waiting to leave. We had all checked out of our room and there were like 20 guys in their dates who couldn't, who <laughs> couldn't give a fuck. They, they could not find a fuck to give about, about golf. And we were all sitting in the lobby of the hotel, just wrapped. Like we were just sitting there like in awe of what was going on. It was an it was an incredible day. Um, Again, that just shows to his power and his effect of. I mean, if, if Phil Mickelson's in the lead, you're not gathered around the TV like that. If if I think of anything else, there's no other athlete in the world that draws people in like that. Yeah. I'm sure a ton of people have stories like that of, oh, I was in an airport and I couldn't leave, or you know stuff. Yeah, I'm sure there are people who missed their flights, people who, you know, were late picking their kids up, all, all the all yeah. these things just for for Tiger and and you're right, Davis. There is no there is no other athlete who can command the attention of of the entire world, really, quite like Tiger Woods. Um, you know, and and we talk about like all-time goat uh, like, I don't think even, I don't think even Jordan had that kind of command. You know what I mean? Like Lucas, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I'm not sure Jordan had that kind of power to where he could just draw anybody and everybody in to, to just watch, to watch him do what he does at a high level. No. Um, you know, and back then the NBA wasn't really into China as it was a little bit ago before, you know, I think the Rockets messed it up. Um, and, or, you know, that's just an example of, you know, their, their worldwide reach. But um, MJ was a phenom, and uh, Tiger took it to the next level. He really did. Um, it's a lot easier to pick up CBS and, and watch golf on a Sunday than it would be to find a random Jordan game besides the playoffs on NBC. Um you know, this documentary was good. I really liked it. But and but I, I think it was more it was more talking about Tiger, you know, I wanted to know more about him, you know, as a as a uh, stuff other than, you know, him cheating on his wife, which was really bad, 
that's putting it lightly. And um, I just wanted more out of it. I felt like we were robbed. You know, there's so much footage to go through, but I felt like we were robbed of, gee, you could you could really make a last dance style of documentary of Tiger Woods if you really wanted to. Like that that would be something I'd pine for. Um, but it was it was a good uh, intriguing way to like, to show him and his dad. Like um, my dad was in the military. Like he was a drill sergeant in the army, um, tank commander, and everything. Um, and you know, I saw similarities between the way his dad behaved with his son, and the way that my dad did. And I'm not trying to say anything, you know, good or bad. It's just there is a that is a real thing that, that like military dads, quote unquote, um, do. And you know, he did create Tiger, and it's just it's one of those instances, kind of like. Um, you know, you're like, I see it with people that I know, you know, they raise their kids to be their friends, but not their, their, uh, subordinates, you know, people to kind of say, look, I'll be your friend, but later in life, whereas, you know, Earl and Tiger were just best friends from the beginning and it really paid the price after Earl died and it's too bad. And I felt for a tiger, but, um, you know, it, I just wanted more out of this documentary, if that makes sense. Like I just wanted to see more about him and, it felt he's never really going to talk unless obviously he has full control. So I get that, but uh, kind of like MJ did with last dance, but I still wouldn't mind seeing that. I don't know about you guys, but I would watch it. No. Yeah. I would definitely watch a, a, a last dance um, kind of documentary from tiger, because I think um, I, you know, you never know, like, you know, obviously tiger is, uh, they say it in the documentary multiple times. He's so good at compartmentalizing. Yeah. You know, um, it'll be interesting. You know, it's kind of, it'll be interesting to see like when the, when it inevitably gets made um, where, where Tiger is at in terms of talking on, you know, um, his infidelity, his relationship to his race, his, um, you know, his addiction, um, things like that. You know, I think that that'll be an interesting kind of, It'll be an interesting. It'll be an interesting thing to look out for when I again. It'll happen. So it's a matter of when, not if. Right. Is ESPN's doing a Last Dance style on Brady? Right. Yes, they are. Oh no, no, I'm not cheering for Tom Brady. Uh, bad radio. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Stone Cold Steve Austin one. Oh. Hey, oh I, they're doing one. They're doing what? Uh, I don't think I don't think uh, ESPN's doing it, but I believe um, WWE Network. Yeah, I believe there is a Last Dance style documentary for Steve. Austin. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I do think one day Tiger will sit down and talk about everything. I mean, they they had footage of the interview with uh, Charlie Rose, and I've I've watched that full interview, and Charlie an- or asked some questions about the, right. the infidelity and stuff, and Tiger doesn't gloss over it. He, he doesn't exactly answer positively, but no. uh, I think one day he will talk about it, which will be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I want to see that someday, Davis. I'm right there with you. Um, I I just want to know more about this guy. Like, like, The Last Dance really showed us good and bad about MJ, and obviously he had control over it, but – at least he was cool enough to like have an influence on it and go some stuff. I was amazed that he said, fuck it, show it to him. 
Like I never thought we'd see him lose the, those dice bets with, um, you know, the usher who would just, you know, did the famous shrug. I never thought we'd see MJ do that. So maybe Tiger will throw us for a loop someday. Yeah, I could see. I mean, from answers he gives in press conferences, it sounds like he has an amazing memory if he's able to talk about specific shots from 20 years ago. So I'd love to see him talk about other stuff like that, like experiences right. in his life or interviews or. Yeah. So that'll be, you know, that'll be interesting, you know, when it, when it decide when it comes. Uh, Davis, thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us, man. This was a lot of fun. Oh, no, thank you guys for having me. I do have one more little tidbit about Tiger. He yeah. is go I, I truly believe he is going to play the rocket mortgage classic this year. Ooh. So <laughs> I just, I just have an inkling. So. All right, I'll 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 work on getting us credentialed for that. Uh, we'll we'll get it done. Uh, you and I will be there. Oh yeah, uh, covering. I'd, I'd, lo I'd love that. Covering the Rocket Georges Classic for Bacon Wire. Uh, thanks so much, Davis. Uh, no, you're going to hear a word from our sponsors right now, and then Lucas and I will be back to talk about Wandavision. Listen up, fellas. 2020 sucked. It's almost the new year, which means new balls with our sponsor, Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and helping 2 million men all over the world get rid of hair on their balls. If you let yourself go in 2020 while in quarantine, Manscaped is here for you to reboot and stay clean and shaved in 2021. 2020 fucking sucked. I hated it so much. The only good thing that came out of this godforsaken year was this podcast. And Manscaped is here to give you a fresh start in 2021 with their perfect package 3.0 that has all of the right tools for the job. Come out of quarantine with clean balls thanks to the Lawnmower 3.0. This waterproof and skin safe trimmer will reduce nicks to your two best friends. The third generation trimmer even has a light to give you the glow up you need in 2021. It's also time to freshen up down there this year. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? And for on-the-go freshness, you'll love the Crop Reviver Ball Toner Spray. 2020 was awful, so make sure your boys are refreshed and ready for new beginnings in 2021. Manscaped even threw in their shed travel bag to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. Speaking of comfort, the Manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs are also included and are hands down the best underwear that you will ever wear. A guy with hairy balls is like the year 2020. Don't be that guy. Get 20% off and free shipping with code BACON at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BACON. Happy New Year to your balls. All right. Thank you to Manscaped. Uh, Lucas, because MSU hasn't played a basketball game in 10 days, that can only mean one thing. Movie Wire is back, baby. Let's, let's fucking go. It's back. Uh, calling it Movie Wire is a bit misleading because we're talking about a TV show. Uh, we're talking, of course, about WandaVision, uh, the MCU's first Disney Plus streaming offering. And how to explain the show? Um, essentially... What you need to know going into it is that it's a riff on TV sitcoms. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. Um, Each episode, I believe, is going to cover a different era. So we got two episodes on Friday, and those first two were basically satires, more or less, of shows like Leave it to Beaver and Bewitched. I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy, things like that. Yes. So um, pretty interesting. Lucas, I just kind of want to get your overall thoughts on the first two episodes before we jump into greater detail. I really liked it. Um, it's different. It's, it's basically a big, like we were kind of talking about a little bit. It's basically a big kind of setup or exposition for phase four of the MCU, or at least a, a good chunk of it. Um, I think it's also kind of sad. Like, you know, the first six episodes are going to be like these satire sitcoms. And then I think the final three are going to be like the darker, more actiony type of stuff that's going to happen and kind of guide us into a couple of things more specifically the Dr. Strange sequel and um, maybe a couple other surprises that we'll talk about our, our theories here with. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I really liked the first episode. Um, I just think, I just think Paul Bettany is fucking awesome. I love, I love him in almost everything he's in. Uh, he does such a great like sitcom husband, especially in this in the second episode where like he basically has to act drunk for the final act of the show, and it's very reminiscent of that campy kind of over the top acting that kind of uh, that was kind of all of, that was kind of the style yeah. of the time. I really like that episode. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, it, it's pretty interesting that this is going to be the setup for a lot of what Phase 4 is going to try to do because originally, like, this wasn't the first Marvel Disney Plus show. It wasn't supposed to be. Uh, it was supposed to It was supposed to be the Falcon and the Wonder Soldier, but uh, by the time COVID hit, WandaVision had already finished shooting, and I think Falcon and the Wonder Soldier had a couple had a couple things left to do. So it, so basically they had to switch everything around Mm -hmm. and you know, we get, we get WandaVision first, which I think, you know, with, for how much they've kind of already showed us, I think was an interesting decision at first. Yeah. So more conceptually of the show, um, have you ever seen the movie Pleasantville? Been a long time, but yeah, I've seen it. I'd have, I'd have to watch it again to kind of get a refresher. Um, it reminded me a lot of Pleasantville, where uh, the concept of that movie is Kristen Dunst and Tobey Maguire, who or Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire, who play like brother sister, are uh, transported via magical remote into like a Leave It to Beaver era sitcom, and everyone, mm-hmm. you know kind of it's a satire of the of that era too where you know everyone's perfect uh the basketball team at practice never misses a shot which is kind of funny uh you know everything's all hunky-dory idyllic and like as time goes on and as the care and as these two people who live in a completely different era start integrating themselves into into this, into this, you know, kind of idyllic society, like it starts to become colorized and like the color is an indication of like corruption or of, 
or of like reality. Yeah. And obviously you start you start to you started to see that a lot in episode two where you know things started coming in and it was in color. Right. Like the very like it was slowly a little more saturated and um <clears throat> like the red the red helicopter. Yeah. With little hints at outside things happening. Uh one thing one thing I really enjoyed about uh one thing I you know, you can kind of catch is like, if you have kind of a sharper eye for, for like resolutions, like when it was starting, when the simulation, I guess that's the only real way to call it, to call it. When the simulation started to break, like you can tell the, like the resolution got a little better. Mm -hmm. Like even like the resolution of the, you know, even it looked like there was kind of shot with, with 50 style cameras. And like, as, um, perfect example the first time i noticed it was uh in the first in the first episode when they have the boss over for dinner and the boss starts choking yeah and uh kitty foreman just keeps going stop it stop it like it gets it gets sharper and sharper and when it gets to that close up of Wanda's face, like it's almost like it's almost full resolution. Mm-hmm. And as it starts to level back out, it starts to like kind of lose some of that sharpness. Yeah. Very, and full of Easter eggs too. Yeah. Full of Easter eggs. I think the biggest one uh, that we can talk about right now is uh is at the end of the first episode, as the end credits are playing, it kind of zooms out to some kind of control panel. And there is someone there taking notes. And the insignia on their, like, notepad uh, and their laptop screen is that of S.W.O.R.D. Mm -hmm. Um, S.W.O.R.D. in the Marvel Comics is S.H.I.E.L.D.'s kind of space division. It's like their, uh, you know, it's kind of like their NASA or or their Space Force, if you will. <laughs> I was just gonna say Space Force, <laughs> but uh, you know, I I think I think based on both both the the little little bit we got from from the from WandaVision so far, as well as the end of Far From Home, the end credit scene of Far From Home. I can see Sword kind of taking the place of of Shield. Yeah. In in the MCU, which it kind of does so in the comics as well, but Shield is still always kind of around. Like it never like goes away. But right. but because, you know, as Frank Grillo's crossbone says in Civil War, like you dropped a building on my face, like Fury, you know, he kind of needs something else. So I feel like I feel like that's what a little bit of Far From Home was setting up with Sword. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about what we or who we think is going to pop on the show? Well, that's I'm glad you brought that up, Lucas, because uh, today or yesterday, I believe the the voice actor who does the Spanish language dubbing for uh evan peters who plays quicksilver in the who played quicksilver in the last three fox x-men movies uh made a big uh fucky wucky Uh as the kids say 
he tweeted that he was returning to dub Evan Peters' role as Peter as Peter Maximoff, aka Quicksilver, in Wandavision. Oh, so that so uh, you know. Oops, (laughs) Oops, <laughs> spill the chili. Yeah, dude. I I don't know the guy's name. Otherwise, I would do it. Spill chili. Evan Peters dubber spilled chili. Evan Peters Spanish language dub guy spilled chili. But I'm glad I, I'm glad it's Quicksilver because as much as okay, I really like Days of Future Past. I think it's a solid X Men movie. I think Apocalypse is not great, and then Dark Phoenix is complete asshole. But the one constant is that Peter's Quicksilver is, like, the best part of those movies. And I'm glad that Disney is, like, we want to incorporate these X-Men, and we're not just going to go fuck you to the actors who portrayed them. Like, you know, calls have clearly been made. And, um, you know, Evan Peters answered and was like, yeah, I'll take the money again. I'll come back. And I'm more than happy with him coming back. I'm more than happy with... If Disney Wonder keeps some of these guys, Evan Peters is a good start. <clears throat> yeah, and obviously Kevin Feige confirmed last week that Deadpool 3 will take place in the MCU and will be rated R. Which is fucking great. So, I mean, you know, maybe maybe, maybe Evan Peters isn't the only Fox X-Men character we see in this show. I feel like if you're going to use... WandaVision and Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness as a bridge into mm-hmm. into these uh like I don't know why I can't think of the word as this bridge between the Fox X-Men and whatever the MCU X-Men end up being. Yeah. I feel like these would be the times to bring over the people that you want to bring over and then you can kind of build around them. I I, I think the other one I'd really be okay with is McAvoy. I might be in the minority, but I don't think he'd be a bad transition to the next generation of X-Men. No, I, I agree with you. I, I really enjoyed uh, McAvoy's performance as, as Charles Xavier. Um, Obviously no one is going to top Patrick Stewart. I know he was, it's kind of like, uh, you know, bringing full circle with our Tiger conversation. He's kind of like the Tiger Woods of playing Charles Xavier. Like, no one's <laughs> going to be able to do it better. Yeah. So, like, that'll be interesting, you know. I'm really, yeah, I'm really curious about about what they're going to do. Like, it, excuse me, it's pretty clear that Phase 4 does not have the X-Men because it's just so fucking loaded already that, it's going to set up for within the next two years, phase five is happening, you know, with Deadpool three, I wouldn't, I, I'm, I'm going to guess that Deadpool three is going to kick off phase five. Well, I think even Kevin Feige um, in the past has kind of resisted the, the phase kind of uh, numberology and the phase like nomenclature. Yeah. Um, he doesn't really see the movies as, as phases. Uh, he sees it as a saga, which is why uh, Marvel doesn't really acknowledge the phases anymore. Ever since Feige kind of took the reins of of Marvel Studios, kind of s- singularly, right? 
he kind of uh they've kind of they've kind of gotten away from that so i i think looking at looking at like what what's phase four what's phase five what's phase six even is kind of uh is kind of a losing game at this point yeah it might just mesh it all together and you know we can call it phase or whatever it's just kind of what i'm used to but i think 2023 excuse me i don't know what the hell's going on 2023 we're gonna see the x-men for sure like i think there's gonna be a movie in 2023 i'm in I'm sure I'm wrong, but I think this year's Comic-Con, if there is one, even if it's virtual, I think Disney's going to announce a lot of shit. I, I think they're going to get ready to, to show the X-Men this year. Like, just even a casting. I would be inclined to agree, you know. It was kind of interesting how they handled how they handled, uh, how they handled the Fantastic Four announcement. I thought it was pretty interesting. They had... Mm-hmm. Um, Disney, we talked about it a little bit on the pod about a month-ish ago, yeah. had, um, had an investor call where they basically announced all these projects that are coming to theaters and Hulu and Disney+. Plus. And John and, Watts is directing. Yeah, and basically at the end, John Watts, who I would trust with my life, and the director of the two MCU, three MCU Spider-Man films, is going to be directing Fantastic Four. So I think that's an interesting kind of... Um, designation that maybe John Watts is kind of going to be the the Russo brothers of this new era. Yeah, of yeah. The MCU. They obviously trust him, and it, you know, I remember when the Russo brothers got hired, people were like, "What the fuck? These guys just did Community," and I'm like, <clears throat> "Man, what's going on with me?" You know, it, that's really stupid to just judge them off of a, a TV show. It's a good TV show, but it's stupid for people to just downplay that like if they can do it who gives a fuck and then we were proven wrong with how great a win- great the winter soldier was in civil war and then infinity war and endgame blew me away and it's like i wish they could do i wish they could be like the godfathers of marvel like uh favreau and uh Filoni are but you know you get tired of it you obviously have a burnout but um it's clear yeah you're right i agree with you watts is the new guy and I need to rewatch Far From Home. I think I was a little harsh on it. I think just coming off of the high of Endgame, watching something that's just so much more subdued and, you know, not nearly as stake, the stakes aren't nearly as big. It, I wouldn't say disappointed me. I just think I need to give it another shot because I really liked everything about it. But I don't know. You know, I just kind of had this weird feeling when I watched it. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I, I really enjoyed Far From Home. Um, I think, uh, you know, I don't think, uh, I think it was kind of a great, like, uh, like come down from, from Endgame. Yeah. Like a back to reality kind of thing. Right. Like, okay. Like here's what's, here's what's happening now kind of deal. Mm. Um, so yeah, I didn't mean to veer us off of WandaVision because, like, maybe something we could kind of – we could make some predictions of our own, like what we think is going to happen near the end. You know, like something crazy you might think happen or, like, call a like shoot or shoot shot of a certain event or what think you what you think it might lead into. I don't know. I'm just bullshitting here. Um, I had this feeling kind of all along, but I – but – 
ever since this project was announced, but with the Evan Peters news, obviously this is going to be a backdoor to introduce mutants into the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, we don't have to talk about it right now, but I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about like what kind of role the mutants are going to play in the MCU going forward. Because, you know, I love X-Men and the best X-Men comic stories are like, are ones where like they're outcast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the, the dichotomy of how the world t- treats the Avengers versus how the world in the Marvel comics treats the X-Men Right. It's completely different. Um, you know, while they while they value someone like Captain America, right? Someone yeah. like Colossus looks is is looked at like someone who needs to be cured, someone who needs to be locked away. Um, even though they essentially have the same power set. So I think that'll be a I think that'll be a I think it'll give the chance to have a bit more of an elevated discussion of what it means to be, um, I believe they call them enhanced individuals in this. But I think that was only because they couldn't call, they could have called Wanda a mutant. Yeah, they literally probably would get sued if they said mutant. Yeah, so I think I think it'll be interesting to see how they handle both Wanda and, <clears throat> and the rest of, and like just mutant kind in general in the show going forward because, uh, you know, Wanda plays a, Wanda plays a major role in some of the X-Men storylines um, as a, as a big fuck you to Fox house of M. Yeah. Um, the, the house of M storyline where she basically depowers um, almost everybody. Yeah. Almost every mutant. So Fox, no and- yeah. Fox had nothing to adapt. So Fox would have nothing to adapt going forward. <laughs> <laughs> so- I, my prediction is uh, this is just a home run one. It's not going to, I'm going to be wrong. It's going to be um, old takes exposed by the time March hits. I have a feeling that the person that you hear screaming Wanda, who is doing this to you is professor X. I just want to hold out that hope, you know, or, or it's probably, it's probably Dr. Strange, but I don't know. I just want to. I want them to pan back enough to see a bald head, then I'll lose my. I'll lose my shit. I I assumed. I assumed that it was. Uh, that it was Randall Park's uh, FBI character from Ant Man and the Wasp because we know he's confirmed in the show. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, or maybe it could be Doctor Strange. I don't know. I couldn't recognize the voice off Rip. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm. I'm sure somebody already figured it out. I'm sure it's already out there. Yeah. Um. But you can look it up while I talk while I while I talk about this. But doing it, uh, one thing that's really going to be interesting to me going it, it's Randall Park's character. Got it. Yeah, it's him. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's going to be interesting to me going forward, just because like I'm just because I think it'll be funny, is like because they're because they're riffing on sitcoms. Uh, like, are they going to touch? Are they going to do a Full House kind of episode? Because of like the Olsen, because of the Olsen connection, I think, I think that'll be interesting to see, to see you know because obviously Wanda's gonna have kids. Um, Please, I think that'll be I think that'll be interesting going forward. You know, maybe yeah. maybe we see the Olsen twins. 
if anyone's going to get the Olsen twins out of their like billionaire, like fashion dungeon to, <laughs> <laughs> to come back to acting, it's it the hat man, Kevin Feige in Marvel studios. <laughs> that would be something that would get uh, a lot of, uh, as our, as our dad, Jeff D. Lowe likes the uh, social media interactions that would get a weird mixture of Marvel <laughs> and fashion people. <laughs> Yeah, that's together. And just fans of Full House, because like obviously they didn't come back for the Netflix revival. No, but I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see how they how they touch how they touch that going forward. I could see, I could see them kind of. <clears throat> I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that I'm sure the writers' room thought of it, right? I mean, how can you yeah. not? You have, you have, you have an Olsen sister. Right. And they all and they all fucking look alike. I mean, if you put like, like it's Elizabeth Olsen, I think is maybe like five years five years younger than Mary Kate and Ashley. Yeah, I think she is. Um, I I just think like it's also like yeah, it's this you know I love the layers like on the outside you know if you're watching it and you're like kind of a MCU casual and I'm not trying to downgrade people who don't watch these and pay ton of ton of attention. I get it, but. Um, you know, it's, it's also very sad if you think about, like, if you know what she's gone through, like for those who are uneducated, Scarlet Witch is like the most, arguably the most powerful mute, uh, not mute, arguably the most powerful superhero in the entire thing. Like they really kind of downgraded her powers. Like, cause in Endgame, she probably could have, she was going to kill Thanos. She was about to snap him in half and you know, he did the whole fire everything, kill all the soldiers type of shit. But um, it's sad. Like, it's – she is in – it's just this amazing way of handling grief and loss and denial for a person who has this special talent. It's really sad to see her descent into madness because I'm, I'm thinking that she's going to be – she is in Doctor Strange too, and I think she's going to be like a secondary villain of sorts because of yeah. how crazy she is. Yeah, you know, I think, um, I, you know, I, I think Marvel, um, kind of, kind of had this, has had this nasty habit of of nerfing powerful characters. Yeah, nerfing um, the right word. Yeah. Uh, in the past, because they don't really know how to how to handle them, and I think, I think now that that Thanos is defeated, and they're kind of building up to the next kind of big bad uh, that there's going to be more of a, we're going to see a bit more of both Wanda and probably visions power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Wanda, you know, I, I think that's a good call. Lucas, I think Wanda will have um, a bit of an antagonist, an antagonistic, kind of bent going forward mm-hmm. in the MCU. I could see her kind of being um, this new era's uh, a Loki, um, for lack of a better comparison, you know, someone who you're, who you're kind of sympathetic towards, but who, who does bad things. But you're right. I think, I think, you know, how does someone, I think the question, how does someone as powerful as Wanda Maximoff like process grief and process loss and process guilt, honestly, because she has so much guilt from because she was the one who did it to Vision, right? She's the one who destroyed Vision, right. and she still failed. Yeah. 
so you know there was this feeling of of i of i destroyed you know i destroyed the only person the only thing i yeah you know i don't i never know how to classify vision um i destroyed this only thing i ever loved and i failed you know like that's a that's a heavy that's a heavy heavy thing to take with you so it'll be kind of interesting to see how how the show continues to process that that question and those emotions going forward. Yeah, I think it's going to get darker. Um, you know, this was like a little taste. And then, you know, especially at the end of episode two, when the beekeeper comes out and she just says no. And then rewinds and she's pregnant and he go, she says this is real. Like the cracks are forming. And, you know, I, I watched one of the trailers where it's like it's like basically taking place inside some sort of bubble, like some sort of dome. And um, I'm, I just can't wait to keep watching this thing. I'm, yeah. I really, I really like it. It's different and it's a nice appetizer for all the Marvel that's going to be dumped on us for the rest of eternity. You know, I, uh, I talked, I was talking to our friend, uh, crappy MSU Photoshopper about it um, on Friday. Um, you know, he kind of messaged me on the side because he didn't yeah. want to spoil it. And uh, he he brought up a he brought up a good point, you know. Um, I think I think that there were no like I think just because the show kind of had this unfair expectation tied to it. Um, I I think just because of just because of it being like the second biggest thing like Disney Plus has launched um, since its inception where like people were expecting like some kind of crazy thing to happen at the end of episode one. Yeah. And it didn't happen. And I think releasing the second episode alongside it was really smart. Right. Because then you could go, okay, like let's get it moving. You know, there is no, you know, I, I think people who are expecting some kind of uh, baby Yoda at the end of at the end of episode one of WandaVision, you're going to be sorely disappointed. But I think, you know, I I think you know, Marvel Studios has has done more than enough over the last eleven, twelve years of my life to for me to earn their trust. Um, yeah. So I, I I'm in for the ride. I was always going to be in for the ride. Right. Uh, my dad said after the second episode finished and he, and I, you know, I said, I was talking about how much I liked it and he goes, you know, they could probably put out two hours if someone's shitting on a toilet and you would probably say it was really good. That is funny. <laughs> You're like, uh. yeah, but you know, Marvel, I, Marvel kind of lost me for a little bit. Like not, I've still watched the movies, but like, Age of Ultron, I started to get nervous. Like, oh shit, is this the beginning of the downfall? And, um, you know, I didn't like Doctor Strange that much at first, but I actually revisited it when it went on Disney Plus, And I actually, I really like it. It's the ending with um, uh, Dormammu is like playing a video game until you beat the final boss. Like you're just, you keep hitting start to play over and over again. Um, but then, you know, Guardians kind of reeled me back in. And then Thor Ragnarok, I'm like, okay, they're getting back on track. Because I was like, if, if Joss Whedon is going to have a say on things going going forward, I was I was pretty nervous. 
Because he's good for like one or two bangers, but then that it's like he sucks. I'm so glad they took the Russo brothers because I really wonder what Marvel would have been. They would still be chugging out stuff, but I really wonder how things would be if, if they didn't do um, Infinity War and Endgame the way they did. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. Um, I think, you know, I think there's a, um, there was, there was a bit of, there was a bit of rough sailing um, post Avengers that, that they kind of had to get through, but. um, Thor, I did not like Thor 2. I have not watched that since I went and saw it in theaters. I have not either. Um, Anytime I, it's, 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 it's bad. It's bad. It's a bad movie. Yeah. But I have faith in the hat man moving forward. And this is a good, this is a good, uh little filler for what's to come for sure for sure um i'm excited to talk about it more with you um i'm excited to just get more episodes please kevin god damn it uh (laughs) just give me more um come on hat man yeah just drop drop to a week you fucking coward you (laughs) fucking piece of shit well Uh, you gotta you gotta get your wandavision and then your butt your i keep calling a bucky in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. That I'm um, fucking pumped for. Uh, just, you know, drop, drop Black Widow on Disney Plus, you coward. Um, even if I it's, it's going to happen. Even if it's Premier Access, just drop it, you fucking bitch. You fucking I, th- I think they're going to do... Okay, so I know I'm going a little bit... Like, say Biden moves forward with the full-blown vaccinate anybody who wants to get vaccinated. You know, Which Biden they is, should do. What he should do, and I think he's going to try to. Um, realistically, May or June could could get closer back to normal, and but I still think Disney's just like right now going. Look, we've got Marvel stuff coming. We don't want to keep delaying this stuff, so let's just drop Black Widow on D plus in theaters. See what happens. Can't hurt. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it'll be interesting to see what that kind of what that kind of causes. Um, going forward. Uh, thank you to Andrew Cumbo yep. for kind of giving us a, a much needed shot of positivity for MSU basketball going forward. Uh, thank you to Davis for coming on and talk to us for talk for talking to us with Tiger. Uh, Lucas, go green. Go white. Go Lewis. Go, go Sponge. Lewis. Colonel Johnson. Go uh, go Lance. Go go, go go anyone but Tom Brady. Go Braden. Shout out Foster Motor. I guess I don't know. No. Uh, we're out. We're out. I love this feeling, but I hate this part. I wanted this to work so much. I drew my plans on a chart. Cause I'm flipping, I'm in hopeless you. My character's strong, but my head is good. She hates like hell.